So this morning, as Maria read, we are going through Genesis 44. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Because this is the end of Genesis, and we've been here for many, many months, actually, it seems like years, um, it would be helpful for us to step back for a minute and recap where we've been. So before we get into 44, let us go back to 37, where the story of Joseph starts. So if you remember in Genesis 37, Jacob has 12 sons, the second youngest being Jacob, uh, being Joseph, who he is the favorite. He gives him this special coat. Um, he has these dreams that all of the brothers and the dad are going to bow down to him. And so because of this, his brothers hate him and they have him sold to Egypt. And then he's there for a while. You see in 39 that he's there for a while. And then he ends up in Potiphar's house, ends up building up to second in rank, but then becomes framed by Potiphar's wife and ends up in prison. There he stays for another several years before uh, he ends up interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer and the bread, uh, the bread book. And so he, he interprets the dreams, but still ends up staying in prison for a while before finally uh, it gets to the Pharaoh that, hey, there's this guy in prison who can interpret dreams. And so he interprets the dreams of the seven years of, of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And because of this, ends up once again second in rank, this time to Pharaoh himself uh, to oversee this project. So then the last two weeks, we've been in chapter 42 and 43. So the famine is severe. And so Joseph's brothers get sent to Egypt to try to buy food. And so they get there, and he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Why would they, their brother who they sent in the slavery be the second command in Egypt? And so he's there. That He, you know, is a little testy with them. And then he... Uh, sends them back with food, uh, and then they they go back to Canaan, and what do they find? Their bags are full of the money that they had given. So, so they come back again a second time, the last chapter we looked at, to buy more more food. But this time they had the food with, uh, or the, they had the money that was, was sent with them. So this brings us to today, to chapter 44. So let me pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, you transform hearts. We don't do that. We can't do that. As we look at the life of Judah, I pray that you would help us to be reminded of what you have done in our own hearts and what is done by your Spirit because of Christ. So would you use this time in your word to transform our hearts and draw us closer to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I gave a quick overview of the last several chapters, which is a big flyover. Um, there's a Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns his vomit, so a foolish returns his folly, which oftentimes feels how this story has gone time and time again. Abraham's, Abraham sins, 
and then Isaac, his son, sins in the same exact ways, and then Jacob sins in the same exact ways, and so we've just become accustomed to this vicious cycle. But here we get a little break from it. So this week and next week, 44 and 45, become the climax of all this stuff with Joseph in Egypt. So, beginning in verse 1. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain, and he did as Joseph told him. So Joseph devises a test. He says to put the money back in the sacks like he did the the previous time, but this time also put the silver cup in the youngest brother's sack. So quick reminder, who's the youngest brother? If we go back to the end of chapter 43, Benjamin was the youngest son, was the one that not wants sent to Egypt because he's now the favorite now that Joseph is out of the picture. So why, why Benjamin? As we'll see as we continue to unfold in this chapter, this is an undoing of what happened with Joseph when he was sent to Egypt. Joseph was the favored son, and now he's gone because the brothers sold him into Egypt. And so why the silver cup? We're not sure at this point why the silver cup. The last time there's any mention of silver was the time when his brothers sold him for 20 pieces of silver to go into Egypt. But this, the cup is put in his sack. Moving on, verse 3. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short divination, which is this condoning uh, the Egyptian practices. It doesn't seem so, especially if we look back earlier. Every time Joseph has interpreted a dream, he's attributed it to God. And so it doesn't seem like he's given into this, this cult practice of, of divination. However, remembering that still up to this point, his brothers don't know it's him. And so it might have been a, an expectation that, sure, he's the, he's the Pharaoh's second command. He practices divination, whatever. Um, and he lost his cup, and now he wants it back. It's interesting to note that in this instance, he doesn't use this cup to discern the will of the gods. He does it to discern the hearts of the brothers. And so Judah speaks before him, pleading for the behalf of Benjamin. Notice here that he doesn't say, well, that's Benjamin's problem. I'm done. He says, we, collectively, we are guilty. We, how can we stand before you? Let us be condemned. And so rather than in 37 where his brothers, uh, because they were jealous of him, sent him you know, on the road, here Judah is the one stepping in. Like Judah was the one who suggested that Joseph be sold to Egypt. And now here, he's the one saying, no, 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 we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Let, let us all be punished together. So moving on, verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. 
My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left on his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. So they recount of what happened when they went back. That their father Jacob was not happy with this whole plan. He'd already lost Joseph, his favorite son. He had already had his other son, Simeon, locked up in this Egyptian prison. And now they want to take Benjamin. And looking at their track record, it's not great that, yet again, another son would be missing. As we saw last week in chapter 43, it was Judah who stepped up and said, Let his life be in my hands. I will be a sign, I will be a pledge of his safety. And so now we actually see him, him applying this. Verse 24 says this, When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, and when our father said, Go again and buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us. Then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless your youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. As we've said, there's been such a repetitive cycle of favoritism with Jacob. Like, it was very clear in chapter 37 with Joseph that he was the favored child, and then now he's gone, and now it's Benjamin. And even the way that that Judah recounts the words of Jacob, like, I had two sons, and they're probably thinking, what about the rest of us, right? Um, and now one's gone, now I only have one. And so there, there's got to be a level of, like, man, what about us? But... Unlike 37, this hasn't led to jealousy. This hasn't led to rage or, or uh, pushing him aside. Instead, they stand with him in solidarity that they are all guilty. So then the chapter ends this way. Now therefore, as soon as I come to you, your servant my father, and the boy is not with us, then in his life is bound up in the boy's life, and as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with him to his, with his brothers. For how can I go back to the father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So, whereas before, Judah was the one who had suggested, hey, 
Why would we kill him? We can have him sold and we can make money off of this. Here, like they said, okay, let it be us. Let it be all of us. And they said, and Joseph says to him, you don't all have to suffer. Just the one who's, who the cup had uh, was found. And now Judah steps in, steps in the gap of this and says, let me go instead of the youngest. This is quite a different Judah than we saw chapters earlier, even 38 with Judah and Tamar. And it's a different response in how he responds to his father as well. Like they weren't concerned at all with how is their father going to respond to Joseph being gone back in 37. But here he fears the evil that his father would come under if Benjamin should not return. So what accounts for this transformation in Judah's heart? The text doesn't tell us explicitly. It doesn't have a watershed Jacob wrestling God moment where here was I before, then I wrestled with God, and then here I am now. The closest we saw to that was at the very end of 38 when Judah is condemned by Tamar for his sin and he only recognizes his sin, his guilt. But here we see a very different Judah. So what accounts for this transformation? As we've seen in the last several chapters, God is sovereign over all the circumstances of everything that's been going on here. He was sovereign over Joseph being brought as a slave into Egypt. He was sovereign even when Potiphar's wife betrayed and, and landed him in prison. He was sovereign even in all the circumstances with him in prison that landed him here as the second in command for, uh, with Pharaoh. And now we see that God is sovereign in the hearts of his brothers, transforming their hearts. This reminds me of what happens with, with Peter and Jesus at the end of John. So at the end of John, Jesus has, has died. He's risen again. He's appeared to his disciples, right? What happened before Jesus was crucified? Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And then here on the other side of the resurrection, Jesus appears again to Peter and says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So this is often seen as the great undoing of his denial. He denied Jesus three times, and here Jesus restores him three times because of the resurrected Christ, because he was the atonement for Peter's sins. And so, looking back to Genesis, we have a glimpse of this one in the place of one, one in the place of all, 
that Judah sacrifices himself for the sake of his brother Benjamin. And that foreshadows an even greater sacrifice in Christ. Which leads us to the table. As Genesis ended, it ended with Judah pleading with Joseph, let me be in the place of him. Let me be instead of him. And this is precisely what we have received in Christ. The punishment and wrath we rightly deserve has been borne by Christ on the cross. He died, he was crucified, buried, and he raised again victoriously so that we would never experience death. So this is why we celebrate the Lord's table every week. This is for those who do believe in this sacrifice, that this is for you to be reminded that in Christ you are atoned for, your sins are forgiven, you are now free. For those who are not yet at that point, we ask you to, to participate as well by observing, by asking questions. Perhaps this might be the very first time that you celebrate this with us together. So here from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.